Do you think that Putin and Xi fear President Biden? You'd have to ask them whether, whether they fear or, or, or they not. Okay. It is not about fear. It's about President Biden. The 2024 Republican presidential primary field is taking shape. The battle lines are becoming clearer, and so is the field of candidates. Is the odds on favorites if you look at the polling still Trump versus Biden? That seems to be it, but it's just way too early to tell. I'm more angry now and I'm more committed now than I ever was. Big challenge for these candidates is going to be how do they navigate Donald Trump? And, and how do they navigate Ron DeSantis? You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve... Good Tuesday to all of you, and welcome back to the Ruthless Variety program. I'm Josh Holmes, along with Comfortably Smug, Michael Duncan, and John Ashbrook, a full complement of the Variety program here today. It's good to be here. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, we have, just to let the listeners in on a little insight, uh, prior to recording, we usually have, I don't know, 30 minutes where we, like, look over some things we want to talk yeah, about. Yeah, And it has uh, different flavors, you know, depending on what all of our days look like. Uh, this one's gone off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of insano content. Like, that opener alone of, of, of you know, the Biden administration being like, listen, I mean, it's pretty obvious they're not scared of Biden. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, fear? What are you talking about fear? Why, do you, why does that matter? It doesn't. It's beside the point. <laughs> <laughs> we got a lot of stuff in here. We're going to try to jam-pack in an action-packed episode because we have two world-class guests you've heard an awful lot about this wisconsin supreme court race and if you follow politics closely enough you know that in 2023 look you get the off-year governor's elections in like kentucky and louisiana but there's not like real races that are going on beyond that i mean there are some but this year in wisconsin there has been tens of millions of dollars mm -hmm. spent on a Supreme Court race there that the left the left has just like jumped in whole hard. Yeah. yeah. I mean they've just flooded that state with money. Tons. And you know, th what they want to make that whole thing is a referendum on abortion, of course, none of that has anything to do with the race that they're having there, but there it's against one one left-wing sort of Soros-funded prosecutor become mm -hmm. judge who now wants to be a Supreme Court justice, and then you've got this like pretty strict constructionist what from my understanding is a pretty conservative guy uh on the other side, and what's happened is it's turned into a national election. In Wisconsin, we've talked about it a little bit, but I felt like we needed to talk about it more given the gravity of all of it. Yeah, I think we definitely have to talk about it more. And I think sort of writ large, the sort of the conservative like media ecosystem historically has done like a bad, bad job. Keep, I think, keeping, you know, the, the grassroots up, you know, at a cycle yeah. on, on stuff like mm -hmm. this, like the Democrats have always done a much better job keeping folks informed on stuff like this, you know, special election things, off year things. And I think like as a show, like we want to make sure we're providing you guys with this stuff that I don't think enough people are talking about. Total. Just to give you a real world. I mean, if you're up on this stuff, if you're paying attention to politics, you probably know everything there is to know about the ins and the outs of the FBI, about all of the, the chaos involving Trump about you know all of that stuff what you don't know is the name of the candidates in the race for the Supreme Court but let me tell you how it matters that person whoever is elected in this race ultimately will decide the validity of election laws in Wisconsin yep 
I don't have to remind you that in 2016, President Trump won in a large part because he carried Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. Right. We lost because we lost Wisconsin. Right. In a large part. Yeah. Right? I think as a movement, we take our eye off the ball on stuff like this. Like, it matters a lot. It matters a lot. And so we thought we'd bring the one guy who's closest to it beyond the candidate himself. Wisconsin GOP chair Brian Schimming is in here to give us an update on that. And by the way, they're hosting the 2024 convention. Yeah. So we talked to him about that, too. In Madison, right? Uh, in Milwaukee. In Milwaukee, excuse me. In Milwaukee. Me. Yeah. Yeah, if we hosted in Madison, uh, there would be like a fire. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they have great beer, but beyond yeah. that, like the politics. Oh, no. Oh, no. No. <laughs> you don't want any of that. Uh, so he's on uh, to talk about that. And then we have an old friend of the program, Senator Tommy Tuberville. Uh, a great United States senator. We bring him on every time there's sports-related legislation. Mm -hmm. He's got a great bill to mandate that biological men cannot play in women's sports. And it, it goes through Title IX. He's somebody who was a head coach and a coach you know, for 40 years, basically, um, and saw all this from the inside and saw the building of women athletic programs yeah. in every place that he had, had uh, been at and loves it, mm -hmm. right? Because look, at Title IX at, at its core at the beginning was not an entirely popular thing to do. He's a huge fan of Title IX because he was on the inside as an educator and as a, as a coach and is seeing what's happening now with biological men playing against women in all kinds of different sports and ruining not only the whole pretense behind Title IX, but but also the sports themselves. Mm -hmm. yeah. and he's afraid that women's athletics is going to go the way of the Whigs unless we do something about it. So he's here to talk about that. Plus, I'd forgotten it. You know, he's been on this program twice before. You realize that he was a coach uh, for the Canes in, mm -hmm. in the late 80s and early 90s? Yeah, actually, yeah that's right. I, did, I didn't know that. I yeah, that's how he got, that. like, Jimmy Johnson hired him to be uh, on staff, and he, I think he ended up to be their, like, defensive coordinator. But he was, like, a part of that whole, if you haven't watched the 30 for 30 on the Miami Hurricanes of the late 80s and early 90s, boy, oh, boy. Yeah, 30s for 30s in general is just some of the best things you can watch. I would just point out that Penn State beat them, you know. <laughs> we I got him to I'm talk a Big about Ten that. guy. I got him to talk about that. Yeah. You're a great defense. He had nice things to say about Joe Paterno, too. No, he's one of the greatest of all time. So, you know, that, look forward to that. It's a, it's a big, big interview. We love that. Love to hear from him. Um, I want to start with one thing. You know, it's not often that we just take the daily sort of press briefing and make a big deal out of it. Uh, but I want to today because we've been talking about this conjecturing a bit uh, in our pre-taping. Uh, pre and it turns out it, it erupted this afternoon. And it erupted this afternoon uh, because there was a gentleman named uh, Simon Ateba, mm -hmm. who uh, is an African reporter who has never been called on ever once in this administration. And he took exception for that. I think we have audio of it. 
you can't keep discriminating against some people in the briefing room because you don't like them, you don't like them. So you have a choice. No, you, you have a choice. Against, you have a choice. A number of people okay. in the briefing room. And I'm saying that that's not right. This is not China. This is not Russia. This is the United ah. States. This is the White House. It's been seven months. I think you are not the rest of us are here too, pal. He's been seven months. You guys have not done anything for me. If you have grievances, you should bring them to her later. I have done that. I have done that. All my emails have been ignored. And the press corps is tired of dealing with this. It is about you, Simon. I understand that you get questions all the time and you don't understand what it is to sit here for eight months and be discriminated against. I understand that you're in the front row and you feel comfortable and you get questions all the time. There are people in the back who don't get any questions. Don't make assumptions about what the rest of us do. Mind your manners when you're in here. If you have a problem, you bring it up afterwards. But you are impinging on everybody in here who's only trying to do their job. Okay, thank you. I'm saying that you shouldn't discriminate against some people because you don't. I agree with your question. You're offended by your question. We all heard it. <laughs> That's incredible. So, so, so just to put this in context, Simon is a, is part of an African uh, news outlet that has never been able to ask a question. That's what he took exception to. And clearly from that, he said he'd tried emailing uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre multiple times of being like, hey, can you just like call on me sometime? She's continued to refuse to do so. So he was like, why aren't you calling on me? And it's amazing to see the entire press corps just flip out. <laughs> Did you hear yeah. the... Yeah, so, Who so was that? Was that KJP? Who screamed? She, Who no, was no, that? no. It's, it, it was a female member of the press corps. She was actually screaming decorum, which I found kind <laughs> of ironic as she was screaming it. Amazing. <laughs> well, so Fox wrote up a, a little piece on this, right? Recall, so this press conference, I mean, it's their daily press briefing. It was a little different than normal in that they brought in Jason Sudeikis. Yeah, I think this is the most significant context of the whole episode because yeah. the White House literally rolled out comedians and a comedy show. And here you have this serious reporter who hasn't been called on in eight months who simply just wants to ask a question. I mean, question. That's, if you think about eight months, this guy's been sitting in there and they never call you're, on You're him. telling me they can't just give him a second? Like, she calls on her favorite people day in and day out. Her just crutches, let the guy, essentially just crutches. Just Wait, and, and, and also, I thought, like, the White House Correspondents Association was supposed to have, like, some solidarity. Yeah! Exactly. Like, like the, yeah, they start screaming like, typically, and shutting the guy up. Typically, the reporters are supposed to support each other in their job. You yep. know, but instead they're like shouting this guy she, down. She tried to answer the question. They cut her off. <laughs> they were going to take care of this their own. Right. <laughs> so, so Simon Ateba, who is the uh, chief correspondent of Today News Africa, was the one that had the problem. And you're right, Duncan. Fox reports that throughout the rant, a woman off screen repeatedly yelled decorum. Unreal. <laughs> Urging Atiba to quiet down, attempting to make light of the situation. Um, I just think it's such a hilarious contrast <laughs> to what we're used to. It, it, like, imagine a Republican spokesperson sitting at the podium and somebody from an African news outlet being like, can you just answer one of my questions? And the rest of the press... Is, like the liberal media shouting like, down a black man. They're yeah. like, they're like Kareem John. <laughs> You just need it. Just hold. I got this. I got this. I mean, did you hear the guy who said, mind your manners? That's yeah. unreal. Get yeah. out of here. The, he, he's trying to ask a question. He was completely civil. He was very civil. Time, At one too. point, he says, thank you. Yeah. Right. Like, he's being incredibly, incredibly like polite about right. 
being like, I've been here five days a week for eight months. Right. But also, and he won't let me ask a question. He's being incredibly polite. And all these journals just like go crazy. Start Some start screaming. <laughs> They're saying, mind your manners to this guy. Right. It's, on, it's an outrage. If anybody's ever been a part of the press industry, as Ashbrook and I have, you know that the most hilarious thing is decorum amongst this crowd, right? Because if you do something called, they call a spray, right? It's a photo shoot, no questions. They allow people to come in and take pictures of the president with world leaders It's to document the event. Yeah, It's not a press conference. If they do that, they do it at a later date. It's just to take a picture. But every single time they allow these people, they allow them all in, all the journalists in, and they start screaming, screaming. questions at the top of their lungs to the point where it's like this awkward moment where a president and a world leader have to just sit there and stare into a blank camera as people are screaming at them and the press crowd like tries to usher them out and half the time the foreign leader is like what is wrong with you <laughs> right. he's like i would definitely have these people executed like i i like it. i like that that's part of our process right like i like that foreign leaders come in and they see that we have a free press yeah i do they, too and that they can shout at the president of the united states i think that's actually like a really good demonstration of our democracy what well, is what's different about us than everyone right, else right, right which right. was part of this guy's appeal he said this isn't china yeah. this isn't russia it's america for crying out like just let me ask a qu- like one question and what, if, what could his question if, possibly if, be if you want to see how much these these press journals are truly jackals is you go to an event where they're served free food right like i, oh, I, I know this take whenever Smug i would go this. to like one of the new york gop convention things we would have right and there's all these reporters who show up and and then when the food is trying to get brought out for the journos i mean you see these animals first off <laughs> The way that they eat the food is like they've not had a meal in a week, right? And then you see them doing stuff like putting bread rolls in their pockets. No, come on. I will never forget the image of them putting bread rolls in their pockets. I don't believe it. And then afterwards going table to table with the like half drank bottles of wine and taking those with no. them. No. <laughs> That's are, just not true. It's 100% true. Table. These are animals. These aren't people. Animals. I'm just... You're going to... Table to table? Table to table. I, I, I mean, I got out of there like it's a helicopter out of Nam with these people. It's <laughs> <laughs> just so outrageous. I, I personally... Uh, you know what? It's a good story, if nothing else. Uh... Fellas, one thing that is on the mind of all of the minions is the Hack Madness Tournament. 100%. This has been, what a successful year. We started this thing out last week, and there are votes galore. People are participating. Yeah, there's been like a quarter million votes in the the first round alone. (laughs) Just incredible. Quarter million votes. I mean, so, you know... uh, there's been some surprises. I mean, should we go through some yeah, of these? Yeah, I think so. 100% we have to. Okay. So and, and again, a we've reminder, done the first round. Reminder to folks, you know, check out hackmadness.org. Um, I, I will, when you're hearing this right about the time uh, on Tuesday, I'll be posting the next round of, uh, you know, the 32 who remain. And so go on Twitter. I'll be posting, you know, the votes, the polls there for you to vote in. But you have to see, like, the upsets that have already occurred. It's incredible. Incredible. You want to go through some of this, uh, Duncan? Yeah. I I mean, I think, number one, the biggest surprise uh, to me was probably Alyssa Farah going down. I agree. Me too. Gotta um, say, Max Boot, a 12 seed, 
taking out fifth seed. You know, it's, it, it, and I'm I'm con- I'm a little confused by it because Boot has been kind of low on the radar lately, but the residual ill will on Boot is strong. It's, yeah, I mean, so I so I think this is the classic uh, fight in any of these battles is like. Do you look at the historic legacy of this person, yeah. or is it is there a recency to the yeah. takes that drive them to victory? There's, I mean, there's basically two schools of thought. I don't think there's any recency bias in the minion voting. No, no, I, I don't think so. Well, but then also, dude, I think the David Dowd, French, I think the David French victory of right. Dowd so, so, is so the, the inverse also happened, and this was like you know Purdue going down. Uh, Dowd loses to French. Yeah loses to david french and then you could say the opposite well french you know now i think he's at the new york times now, is he or something i mean he's i know he's, but he's had a lot of crazy takes he's on a spree recently but dowd certainly has like a long pedigree and he hasn't had a lot of great takes recently great takes being bad takes obviously if there's if there's one critique in the voting you could have over a period of time is that name id is a very important component i think mm-hmm. i think right so. where you don't if you're not aware of the body of work the name id always sort of work and residual anxiety over a period of years i have to believe that's why jim acosta got through round one on bump right he's now in a very tough matchup against darren blake that'll tell us a lot yeah don't you think that'll tell us a lot about about sort of the patterns that we're dealing with here right yeah, I, I well, I mean, I think it also it's it's matchup to matchup, you know, it's strengths and weaknesses, just like the real tournament. Yeah, just like the real tournament. And then, I, and I, I, I trust in the minions uh, to make the right selections. And the reason why I do is because I happen to sit right now in our own uh, private bracket, uh, us four, or excuse me, five with McDaniel. Mm-hmm. I'm in the I'm in the pole position, folks. Uh, yeah, well, you are. You I are. Am. I, I, I am winning uh, amongst all of us uh, with the most correct. Well, I'm, I think I'm, I'm dragging the tail. And the reason and I should know this, but I always vote on these things based upon who I think is genuinely deserving mm-hmm. of advancing in this particular calendar year mm-hmm. and not necessarily well, how you think people will vote. Yes. Well, and that's and that's a mistake. Well, you've hurt yourself. Then. I've hurt myself. And, and one, on principle, one yeah. matchup I wanted to highlight, uh, which I mean, just the numbers were incredible. So you had number two, Taylor Lorenz taking on Emily Khan, a number fifteen seed, and Taylor Lorenz won ninety-seven to three with over ten thousand votes. Yeah, Taylor Lorenz that's is going to be a powerhouse. That's a blow. Like, <laughs> I mean, she's an absolute force in the hack tourney that's a blow I, I, I mean i don't see anyone stopping her no she's gonna be look, tough to stop i mean ben collins is no slouch himself though i mean i think you know the way to online uh region is really just interesting because there's just like a lot of wild cards you look at like kyle griffin and joy reed you know there's there's like people in here who like i don't I don't. I don't know how those are going to shake out. I think anything could happen. A lot of upsets, things like that. You could see Lorenz finding her way to, to uh, the final four, but I. I don't think she gets past Jen Rubin. I really don't. I mean, Rubin's Rubin is, just set. You set your watch yeah, to her. Special talent. Special talent. You know, it's it's kind of like Tiger in the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like yeah, you know, somebody's playing some nice golf, but like yeah, they're going to run into Tiger eventually. Yeah, I just I I have got a hard time. I mean. Granted, she really did do, I mean, very well in that first round. But I, Ruben is, I, I think Ruben is going to put on a clinic. An- another big upset, um, 
in Ruben's region there was Wajahad Ali in yeah. the 15 Taking seat, out Darcy. Taking out Darcy. Yeah. That was a big one. What do you make of that one, old man? Um, he's, I think Ali has said some of the most offensive things. Yeah, he's definitely, yeah. You know, and, and, and Darcy has sort of a different sort of tact. And I think it's a, it's a big strength of Wajahad Ali is, yeah. is like he offends more people. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they but, play different types of ball because right. Darcy is the whole turncoat. Thing. Right, 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 right. I, I, I mean, I actually predicted this. Wow. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, which is call. probably why I'm in first place. Hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, everyone remember, check out hackmadness.org. You know, keep posting your brackets. Keep voting. I, I, I want to see how this thing ends up. Yeah, yeah we're so going to keep contenders. going. We've got a lot of matchups this week. We're going to be posting from the comfortably smug Twitter handle. Everybody get involved. It's a it's a very big deal. How many? You said a quarter? Quarter, quarter million, million. Quarter million in just the first round. Yeah. Quarter Incredible. million votes in the first round. So this is, good. This is a big deal. Yeah. It's a big deal. Um, all right. This is probably what everybody came to talk about. And I, I can't wait. Uh, Trump says he expects to be arrested. Uh, and calls for a protest, according to the Associated Press, and and we all saw it on his True Social account. Uh, Donald Trump claimed on Saturday that his arrest is imminent and issued an extraordinary call for his supporters to protest as a New York grand jury investigates hush money payments to a woman uh, who alleged sexual encounters with the former president. Um, Even as Trump's lawyer and spokesperson said that there had been no communications from prosecutors. Trump declared in a post on social media that he expects to be taken into custody today, Tuesday, yeah. as you're listening to this. So I guess as you're listening to this, we're going to find out whether or not that had any validity to it or not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a wild weekend on social around this entire mm-hmm. story. Because, Amazing. You know, you had, you had Trump um, saying that his arrest was imminent. And then you had uh, basically a pressure campaign from Trump's campaign. And then, you know, people in the media sort of following the story to see the reactions of like other candidates. What did Nikki Haley say? And, and, and DeSantis as well was like a main focal point all weekend. It's like, what is he going to chime in and say? And, um, and then, you know, DeSantis um, had a, a press conference or, or some sort of press avail on Monday. Uh, and sort of chimed in on the whole thing. But it's just, it's sort of fascinating. I think my initial reaction to it was, I thought, well, obviously it's a political prosecution. Like that goes without saying. (laughs) I mean, obviously this isn't something that you would indict somebody for, um, you know, seven years later, typically. You know, obviously it's a political prosecution. Yeah, let's let's clarify that. So it is seven years later. People are talking about the, the alleged affair, if you can call it that. I mean, it was an encounter, really. Right. Uh, the alleged encounter was in 2006. Yeah. Long ass time ago. <laughs> right. Right. So like that in and of itself is is irrelevant, clearly. Um, the, the allegation in terms of its legality deals with the immediate weeks before the 2016 election after the Access Hollywood tapes had broken and there was a, a, a rush from journos and everybody else to try to substantiate other allegations of sexual impropriety against Donald Trump. And at that point, Stormy Daniels, who had shopped this before, she had shopped this story back in 2011, she'd shopped it kind of throughout, 
had found uh, some interest. Remember, she was trying to sell this story. It wasn't, yeah. she wasn't trying to tell this story. She was trying to sell this story. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, at that point, it is alleged that the National Enquirer, uh, who was doing business uh, with some frequency with Trump, from what I understand, um, made an offer to her to accept, do basically what they call catch and kill. Yeah. Which is pay her for the story and then bury it, and then bury it, yeah. not and not run the story. Yeah, and at that point, it is also alleged, based on Michael Cohen, a former attorney and sort of fixer for President Trump, that he was the custodian of this relationship and paid with his own money. Yeah, the the, the cash that was used to pay off Stormy Daniels. And what is the issue here is how he was reimbursed. Mm -hmm. Because in the context of a political campaign, if you're doing all of this and you're paying somebody off books and then you're reimbursing them from a corporate account, which may or may not be the case here, I mean, it's a pretty direct federal election problem. Right. And and that's where we think this is headed. Look, this is a, that's an extremely complicated charge, and 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 it seems to me like much of this resides in Trump's own testimony about what did or did not happen. Right. And also a couple of things that's smart to remember is that like number one, Stormy Daniels has already lost a lawsuit <clears throat> over this when she had uh, a defamation suit. What's yeah. the name of the attorney that she had? Avenatti. Avenatti, who's yeah. currently in jail. Right. She had the porn lawyer as her lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 uh you know he, she lost that and she already has been ordered to pay uh President Trump a certain amount of money for that whole defamation thing. Uh, secondly, uh, from my understanding, there was a lot of discussion this weekend, is that this is a misdemeanor. Right. That this prosecutor in New York has now decided right. to turn into a felony. Typically, this would be a slap slap on the wrist sort of thing. Although, also, we don't know if whether that's really going to happen or not. Again, this is all conjecture, and you're listening to this on Tuesday. We're about to find out. And the hilarity of it is the only reason we know that any of this is going down at all is, is Donald Trump, Trump himself. Is like, so is is did he is, he, is this sort of a bait and switch? Is he trying, is this like a, he, he's trying to get people onto his side to rally I, for I, him. I think the thing is that the, the fact of the, uh, that this prosecutor specifically, and again, it's one of these left-wing dark money judges. Right. or uh, Funded uh, by uh, George uh, Soros. Uh, district attorneys, rather, that, that, yeah, funded by Soros, who are who have basically spent the past years making crime legal in, in cities, where you're seeing crime being rampant. Blanket pardon to all those people who are rioting in the summer of 2020. Bingo. Yeah. Meanwhile... He's turned this misdemeanor into a felony. Right. Like like, like Duncan said, this is crystal clear that this is a, a political witch. Well, t- and t- typically, this, these sort of like violations are a slap on the wrist thing, like a committee would get a fine or yeah. something like that. People wouldn't, you know, get a felony charge. And if there's it. any truth. If that is what in fact happens. If there, yeah, if there's any truth to it, and if they do charge President Trump, then every Republican attorney general in this country needs to start charging every member of the Biden family, every so, member well, of the Clinton so family, that's the, it, because that's the right. only possible solution to this garbage. That's the danger. That is that is the danger. And that's the reason why you've seen a lot of Republicans rush out to say, like, this is ridiculous. It, it, it's not necessarily because of the merits of this charge, but because of the clear political nature of it. And <clears throat> one thing that we've known here for uh, years upon years is that Democrats have used the power of justice in this country 
to prosecute conservatives. Yep. Right. Far more than they've actually sought justice in, in many, many cases. And when you see particularly uh, AGs who are power hungry, who have interests in higher office, who want to make their name for themselves. Yeah, this yep. is a big stepping stone. This is, if you're the guy or the gal who got Trump, I mean, that... Bye, oh, bye. Bye, oh, bye. <laughs> it's like that one lawyer in New York, was it Dan, Dan Goldwater, who basically his full-time job was dropping, like, resistance takes on Twitter, and now he's been elected to Congress off it. Yeah. Like, this politics stuff, like, uh, doing whatever you can to attack Trump has basically become, like, a pathway to getting elected for Democrats. So, so here's a little bit of a different take on all of this, Okay. So I agree. This is a political prosecution, and I agree that conservatives need to draw a line in the sand and put a stop to liberal vendettas that are funded by George Soros. I think we need to make that a priority. But the other thing is, we've spent the last few minutes talking about Trump and another scandal, and my question is, is there not somebody else who can run for president as a Republican who does not have all this? They'll do it. They'll who do it to stick, any. That's the thing. I, is like, I know that, they will do it to any Republican. Uh, okay, I know they're going to do like it to if, any if Republican. If the nominee were, I mean, pick anyone. If the okay. nominee's Marco Rubio, they're going to start creating stories about. Oh, look, Marco Rubio. Uh, he's friends with Putin. Well, I, I, I don't. I'm not, I'm not arguing for Marco Rubio. I'm arguing for somebody who is different. Well, so, so I got I got a couple. Like, of, a couple I, of maybe, thoughts maybe Trump on that. is our nominee. Right. My, my point is there has there has to be somebody who can put the focus on Biden and the China connections and Biden in the weakness around the world and Biden in the economy and like right. It this is, isn't doing that. It is. I think that is one thing where it's, it's it does get kind of exhausting that we sort of live in this soap opera where every six months something's happening to Donald Trump and everybody has to rally the troops and circle the wagons for him. And it's like the DeSantis thing is a perfect example where it's like you could call the meatball. Like <laughs> Trump called the meatball. His super PAC, Trump's super PAC, filed an ethics complaint with Florida, uh, you know, trying to get DeSantis um off the ballot or impeached or forced to resign and then three days later they're like ron desantis why are you not fighting for our president you know what i mean it's like you're in a primary pal like you're not president anymore and you know so if you're gonna go around attacking other people all the time and i think like a lot of trump's campaign stuff like you know they've come up knowing only donald trump is you know president and now candidate for for 2024 and so like the their sort of muscle memory is like something happens to Donald Trump. A lot of stuff, which obvious like Russia Gate and all of these sort of mm-hmm. things, which obviously had no merit in the first place. And then people would rally behind him, but they want to engage in a primary in which they call like people meatball and desanctimonious, and then whine that they don't like jump in the fire with Donald Trump immediately <laughs> to defend the guy. It's like I'm sorry, but you can't have it both ways. And the other thing is, and I think back to like. Ashbrook's point a little bit on this is like, you know, maybe there's another candidate who can fight and put the pressure on Biden. We don't have to be talking about, you know, hush money payments to porn stars or whatever alleged or what if it was real or it's fake. I don't know. But I mean, my complaint is when when it's Trump who's like on the line to fight for this stuff, he's hiring the crew that does the Four Seasons landscaping. (laughs) You know, press conference because they thought they booked <laughs> the Four Seasons maybe. Hotel. It's like, like if you can't get a competent legal team to fight on your behalf, 
Like, how are we going to really yeah, maybe, win? Maybe Trump's best advocate is not himself. That's what I'm I mean. Well, I mean, so I said this this weekend, and it's, I think, uh, at the heart of this issue is when Democrats prosecute Republicans, it's protecting democracy. When Republicans prosecute Democrats, it's an attack on democracy. When Democrats take to the streets and burn and pillage, it's protecting democracy. When Republicans peacefully protest, it's an attack on democracy. This is the hypocrisy that conservatives face today. And right. I don't think it matters who the candidate is, what the situation is. They're going to get slandered. They're going to get these made-up charges. I, I, All this I agree 100%, but right. I can tell you this. If the person's name isn't Donald Trump and they call him Hitler or whatever, it's not going to be the Four Seasons landscaping crew who's in charge of the legal <laughs> defense with fucking dye running down their face. Right? Yeah, no, I think I mean, like, that's... I mean, it's a competency I, issue. I... That's my concern. My yes, I also look. Regardless of the political prosecution aspect of this, I got a real hard time with notable, smart, intelligent, otherwise important leaders within the Republican Party getting in bed with Stormy Daniels because they feel like they have to defend President Trump. Right? I think this is fundamentally different than like Russia Gate yeah, or this other stuff. I mean, dude, I just, I, I feel like it's, this is not the fucking hill to die on. This isn't determined whether you're a rhino or not. This is not a rhino move. It's just not, right? I mean, you can just let this, I agree that the, the, the political prosecution thing, which we've been highlighting consistently right. with Soros prosecutors, that's why it's a topic of our conversation on this program once a week, has been an issue. But if that is your issue, you should take up everybody else's cause as well. It shouldn't only become an issue every single time President Trump finds himself in a problem, which, by the way, he may or may not have slept with a porn star in 2006. Like, I don't give a shit. Honestly, I don't care, but I'm tired of having to defend that shit. Yeah. I really am. All right. Um, I think what the first thing we should do, because the judicial piece of this component is so important, um, is talk about this Wisconsin issue with the Supreme Court race. Let's go to the chair right now. I want to welcome to the program an interesting guy. He's uh, overseeing a whole lot of political developments in the great state of Wisconsin. He's the Republican Party chairman there, Brian Shimming. Welcome. How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. You know, we should probably take things in order. Um, we've been meaning to catch up with you in your great state for quite some time, but it turns out uh, there is a an, an imminent issue of some consequence in the Wisconsin Supreme Court race. Uh, we've heard a little bit about this because because of all of the spending and and how crazy this has all become in a national story with this state race. But give us a little flavor for it. Well, our state Supreme Court, seven members, 10 year terms, and and it is nominally conservative right now, four to three. Uh, they've come down four to three on a number of important cases. There is an open conservative seat held by a conservative now who's retiring on April 4th. And uh, if the liberals flip the court, that is going to have very, very significant um you know, consequences for the state of Wisconsin, for conservative reform in this state, big time. And they are pouring it in here by the tens of millions of dollars. Wow. About percent of the funding 
for the liberal Janet Protosewitz is from out of state. I mean, it's remarkable. I mean, I, watching the award show last week, it looked like one of her fundraisers. I mean, it's just <laughs> full of left money from the east and left coast. And uh, so it's it's remarkable how much they're pouring in, but, but not because it's one seat. It's because they know we'll flip the court and conservative reforms in the state going back to school choice are yeah. in big danger. Well, and it seems like national libs have sort of coalesced, you know, since I guess last summer with the uh, the Dobbs decision, they've coalesced on trying to make any sort of judicial race a national referendum on the issue of abortion in a lot of ways, right? Right, absolutely, and and part of the reason for that, especially in judicial races, is if they talk about their judicial philosophy, they lose the election. Yeah. They, they go down the whole defund police routine and the whole, you know, the lefty let criminals out, you know, every criminal who's bad, you know, it's because they had a bad breakfast 20 years ago. And so now <laughs> license to kill. And uh, so, so, I mean, that's kind of where we're at now with the left. And that is certainly the case with the liberal here. Janet Protosewitz has been a Milwaukee County judge. Now, now get this, this is Milwaukee County where, uh, only forty percent of the crimes that would be con- that you would I consider felonies get prosecuted in that county. So she's a former judge, or she is a judge there. Is a former assistant district attorney under the DA John Chisholm, who's the guy who let the uh, Waukesha parade killer guy go out. Oh yeah, uh, door. So, I mean, she learned under the worst. So she's in a long line of the Soros-backed prosecutor turned judge, uh, sort of the the progressive view of what ought to happen to our justice system. Yeah, and she doesn't mind not only admitting it. I mean, she she talks about how she's, you know, talking about certain issues because they're part of her values. Now, if you and I talk about our values bad if they talk about their values this is great they're just being honest and all this kind of stuff so it's nonsense and uh, but she's already prejudged a couple of cases one of them is our current congressional district map that we're you know we've in our first cycle in wisconsin we picked up as you know we picked up congressional seat yep. here with eric van orden if she and the left get control of our state supreme court two of our six republican gr- congressional members are probably goners because That's unbelievable. The map. It's incredible. Well, you know, it's, what's so amazing about this race, and you made reference to the fact that they have thrown in tens of millions of dollars on that, but the, it seems like the imbalance here in the spending is pretty significant, is it not? Yeah, it is uh, pretty significant. I would say about two to one. Mm-hmm. Um, Dan Kelly, who's the conservative candidate, former justice, most of his money has been in state. Most of her money, a really alarming amount of money from out of state. I think the week, the couple of days for the primary, she had five or ten twenty thousand dollar contributions come in, which is the max from an individual, all from out of state, every single one. Yeah, that makes <laughs> it's perfect. So he's just pouring in here. And uh, this is not this is the, not the tourism we really want to encourage here in Wisconsin, uh, and so. But it's it's what's going on in this race. The national left sees an opportunity to throw out our throw out our congr- current 
congressional district map, the legislative map, uh, Act 10, which was our labor law reforms under Governor Walker, school choice under from former Governor Tommy Thompson. The list is and concealed carry, uh, yep. the voter protections, ID, the whole thing. Every single one of those issues and more uh, on the ballot on April 4th. Well, and I guess, I, you know, the national left probably also is looking around the corner and figuring out that Wisconsin played a pivotal role in 2016 in the election of President Trump and a, and a pivotal, pivotal role in 2020 as well. And I got to imagine that they're using some of these resources in this race to help try to build an infrastructure for you know, whether it's Joe Biden or whoever the hell else they come up with in 2024 to run against the Republican nominee. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, Biden was here about a month or so ago. Uh, I hope somebody told him this is where he's at. <laughs> uh, this Biden, is Wisconsin, sir. <laughs> no, it's, you're in Milwaukee. Uh, the, um, so, that, no, you hit it exactly. I always tell, I've been on the road all weekend speaking at events, and I always tell people, I'm going to screw up your grade school education because, I mean, I screwed mine up when I was there. Now I'm going to screw it up for everybody else. And that is Wisconsin is not one of 50 states. We're one of five. They used to remember they used to call Wisconsin flyover country. Now, all the time, you can't you can't go into a convenience store without running into a presidential candidate in the state anymore. Yeah. So it's an important, important state to winning the presidency and they realize that and her ability to weaken voter ID or other laws that we have had on the books. You know, one of the challenges for our side, frankly, is for and for a lot of folks who are conservative, my fellow conservatives, is that they think all these reforms that we passed in the last 25 years are like chiseled in granite somewhere. They're not. Right. A, a, a four member liberal majority can throw out the will of a 132 member legislature. That is what she intends to do. She has stated it, you know, practically admitted it repeatedly. Get this number in the last 22 years. Think about this. In the last 22 years in Wisconsin, we've had 11 races, 11 statewide races that have been decided by under 30,000 votes, 11 mm -hmm. Races. That's like, you know, one every two years. I mean, it's like lightning in a bottle to have that many close races. So that's why we're, you know, at the party at the state Republican Party where I am. That's why we're spending our time getting our grassroots. I was on the road with grassroots folks the last five days. And uh, that's why we're telling anyone, everyone, uh, vote early. If you can vote early and that, that works for you, vote early. And also talk to those people. You know, I mean, there's huge drop off from presidential yeah. and, and uh, uh, gubernatorial elections. So we all know those 5, 10, 15 people who think like us, they act like us, they live like us, they believe like us, but they don't vote like us, meaning actually mm -hmm. go voting in off years. We get those people, we win. If we yeah. don't, we lose. Well, it's really important. And also the ramifications for when they do ultimately show up and vote, as you made uh, reference to in 2024. If she has her way, she could throw the rules out entirely, and then we got a real mess on our hands. So, absolutely, tell me this, Brian. For all the people who are around the country who are listening to their their lib counterparts throw in resources and and, and try to basically steal this away from the people in Wisconsin, they want to help. Uh, where can they go to help? They can go to our website, uh, wisgop.org. Uh, you can contribute on our website. And the reason I say our website is, as well, there's there's also uh, uh, Dan Kelly's website, which is justicedanielkelly.com. Uh, 
the, the reason those two websites is this is a resource issue at this point. Mm-hmm. There's great unity amongst conservatives, really, really good unity across the state. I've seen that everywhere. Super good unity. It's just a resource issue now in terms of being up on TV and radio where she got an early lead, no doubt about it. It's uh, the state chamber of commerce has did a poll here i think early last week that showed the race within three or four points so we're kind of right there it's mm-hmm. a lot of it's out so uh go to justicedanielkelly.com or wist w-i-s-g-o-p.org uh because literally every dollar that comes out in here right now goes out onto the campaign i mean we're and, going through oceans on this one and i imagine you'll take boots on the ground for those of the or in the area and would like to come volunteer i guarantee you that uh Mr. Shimming and his uh, cohorts will treat you some bratwurst and some beers while you're at it, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It'd be a crime if we didn't. It would be a crime. It would be a crime if you did. Let's turn the page and talk about something different. You're, uh, it turns out you're doing something big with the RNC convention here in uh, not too distant future. Yeah, so we're um, with uh, Milwaukee will be the host city for the Republican National Convention next year, which is super fun. It'll it'll be fifty thousand Republicans coming to Milwaukee, which, by the way, is the most that ever been there ever uh, <laughs> by by a long shot. All, all <laughs> Uh, uh, but it's it's cool. It's really great. It's great for the city. I've had an office down there for years and different jobs, and so it's super cool for the city and the state. And it's great for us to contrast ourselves, you know, against them. As you recall, the Democratic National Convention was supposed to be here. Yeah, uh, didn't work out, did it? Right. Yeah, didn't work out too well. So, so having all those folks here, I think, is a great opportunity for us. And the first debate will be here, by the way, the primary debate in this August. That's right. Well, That's coming up in August. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're super excited about that. But yeah, the convention will have over ten thousand media representatives from all over the country here. Um, I've I've said repeatedly, hey, I will pay for Alexandria Ocasio Cortez's plane ticket to come here if she will come to be part of the you know kind of the anti-Republican routine here. Well, you know, they will bust some lunatics in. I mean, that's what they do, right? I mean, they always have like a a cadre, not just like the protesters and the Antifa types, they'll be there too, but like the DNC, they always have like this uh, small group of 10 to 15 uh, dyed-in-the-wool Democrats who come on and try to respond in real time on all these news stations. I mean, you're going to treat them well too, I imagine. Oh yeah, if they, you know they. I, I'm expecting uh, you know our folks will have a welcoming committee uh, from the Democrat Wisconsin. <laughs> and Chicago's an hour down the road, so, yeah. so they'll probably try to redo 1968 just in Milwaukee <laughs> and do it to us instead. Uh, but, but yeah, we're expecting that. But that's fine, part of the deal, right? Uh, we're right. just expecting able to contrast ourselves versus them and nominate the next president of the United States right here in Wisconsin. Be something that'd be great. You got a, You got a few new friends looking for tickets to that joint. Oh yeah, people I have not heard from in years. In fact, a couple. I mean, I, I tend to get along with folks pretty pretty well, but a couple who I I know don't like me, and they're they're, they're calling saying, "Geez, how do you get tickets to this thing? How does this all work anyway?" And I'm going the way you think it does. Uh, <laughs> you can direct uh, them to wisgop.org, Chairman. That's the way. To, uh, that's the way you can handle it. 
Actually, I'm giving out their website. Uh, <laughs> they can try there first. They can, they can go with the welcoming committee. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. I love it. Uh, so, you look, there's a lot of stuff going on. Next year, you also have a Senate race that's a big right. one there. And and all of this stuff sort of dovetails, right? You got Tammy Baldwin, who's one of the most left-wing senators in the Senate. And, you know, look, control of the Senate could could also fall to Wisconsin. Well, that was the importance of Ron Johnson's re-election last year. Really, yeah. obviously, we would like to have had the Senate majority last year. And I, I did 44 cities with him uh, speaking at rallies in the last week. And um, uh, we want to stop sending her out to cancel Ron Johnson's vote. Yeah. You know, and and she is she is a I knew her when she was in the legislature, when I'm chief of staff to the speaker, uh, extremely left wing, never throws the Republicans a vote on anything. So this Nothing. isn't she tries to cast herself as some moderate or whatever. She never throws us a vote on anything. So it's ridiculous. I will tell you, I've talked to candidates in the last several days. There are people talking about that race. It'll be an expensive one. Yeah. But between that race and uh the presidential race which as i say we're probably one of five you know whatever that number is four five six where it's going to matter so there all of these things are coming together at the right time and ron johnson's re-election really even though we didn't get to the majority this past time it will to your point it will become very important in 24 because you have like two to one more democrat vulnerable democrats up oh, yeah. than Republicans. So we, we want to put uh, Ron Johnson back in the committee chairmanship, and so he can, uh, in addition to do good things for the country, uh, keep an eye on the White House. Yeah, yeah. Well, good candidates make a difference. I'm, yeah. I'm going to put my trust and faith in you, Brian. I feel like we can get there in Wisconsin with a good Senate candidate this time around. Uh, we've shown you've shown how to do it with Ron Johnson just last cycle, so we can get there again. Um, let me, let me do this. I've got three questions. I always ask everybody, and I think this is going to be an extra, uh, additional fun for you from Wisconsin. Cause I can probably predict a lot of at least question number one, which I is look at the time. No, uh, no, what are they? <laughs> if you could plan your last meal on earth, what would it be? Pasta. Pasta. I thought yeah. you'd be a bratwurst guy. Well, I am, and I grew up. I I have no Italian in me, but I uh, and I grew up German at home, so it was like meat and potatoes for every meal of the day. Midnight okay. here, and some meat. Uh, but but I grew up working in an Italian restaurant. They were like my second family, so oh. I, I I got the most fattening of all worlds: meat and potatoes at home, and then go eat pasta at night. So that's why I look like this. Do you <laughs> do you? <laughs> do you uh... Do you also go with like a Chianti or are we talking a Miller Lite here? What, what, how do we deal with the, what are you drinking here? Well, whatever I can drink straight out of the bottle and not have to pour into a glass. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, just, you know, I gave up drinking it out of a paper bag several years ago, but it took a while. That is, <laughs> that is the most Wisconsin a answer I've heard yet on the variety program. I appreciate <laughs> that. <Robin. laughs> All right. So, so second drinkers up here as you know so so a lot of brandy in wisconsin yeah brandy yep no 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 question they can drink beer with anybody but if they're not it's brandy yeah oh big time yeah we still have a fair number and we have a lot of i used to actually represent the state craft brewers so we got tons of craft brewing in wisconsin so anybody who comes to that convention uh they're gonna have some good choices no kidding god it is great beer no question about it 
Um, all right, here's the second question. If you never got into this line of work, right? No politics at any point, And you have this blue sky in your life that you can do just about anything with, uh, with the benefit of retrospect. Uh, how do you think you'd fill it? Well, I, I do some talk radio on the side uh, in Madison, Milwaukee. I do some fill-in work, and I've done morning programs, so I've always enjoyed that end of it, and I've, I've traveled the state a lot. I'm, I'm a native. I'm a homer here, so uh, so might might be doing some radio and uh, and consulting work. Yes, uh, that's right. Everyone does consulting work, so uh, I'd probably be doing some of that because <laughs> it's fun, and I, I know the state, and I know from having worked at the Capitol around state government for a long time, Spent a lot of time in D.C. I'm still shaking that off. And, uh, um, you know, so probably in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I like it. All right. So the last question is a little esoteric. Uh, Our view is almost every successful person is motivated by one of two things, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. And it's not that anybody likes losing and it's not that anybody loathes winning. It's what motivates you to keep going and keep trying to achieve more. And, you know, you think about the agony of defeat person, it's like a Michael Jordan character, right? That's like any success they've ever had. It uh, lasts like two minutes, every setback, they wear like a backpack for the rest of their life, right? As right. opposed to, to a semi-optimist, glass half full kind of uh, view of the world. Where on this spectrum, Mr. Chairman, do you find yourself? Uh, optimist, because, and, and so part of the reason for that is I, I grew up, uh, on the just on the tail end of the anti-war era, right next to University of Wisconsin Madison, when oh, they yeah. blew, when the anti-war folks blew up Sterling Hall, it shook our house. We were six blocks <laughs> up, and so I kind of grew up in an atmosphere where the hardcore left. You know what we're seeing manifest itself now nationally. Th- that was my neighborhood when I was a kid, <laughs> and so it kind of burned into me a uh, a passion for change and for trying to get things done, trying to move things along. So I was saying to a group uh, yesterday in Stevens Point, you know, if I wasn't doing this, I'd be out helping some county board candidate or something. You know, because I I do think enabling people is really empowering. I've re- recruited lots of candidates for the legislature. I was our caucus director when we took over for the first time in a quarter century. And so being able to enable everyday people uh, to make change is actually great for me. It kind of at whatever level, I mean, I'm doing it here on a, on a larger level, but honestly, I get as much satisfaction, as strange as it sounds, you know, helping a local candidate win, because a lot of times I sit down and talk to candidates and you'd have somebody who spent their whole life, you know, raising a family, maybe a small business, doing whatever they did their whole life, but they could, and then I'd sit and talk to them about running for office and they go, well, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> and, and the problem is so many people self-select themselves out of yeah. helping create change because they're like, oh, that's for politicians. I don't know anything about that. So that's how we recruited a lot of folks to run and then win the state assembly in this state. So I've always had a favorite saying, uh, which is up on my wall, and that is, uh, why lose when you can win? And that, 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 that's kind of my uh, slogan. It's well done. Well, you got one more to win before you start putting walleye in the boat here this spring. And yep. it's that Supreme Court uh, uh, deal. What What's the date on that election? It's April 4th. It's a Tuesday. And uh, people can absentee vote. As I say, I've been pushing an early vote uh, because we have to. We just can't, and you know this, we, we cannot keep going into election day, 200,000 votes yes. down and make it up in 13 hours. 
We just can't do it. So I've been pushing early votes so people can vote between now and April 4th. Uh, If people understand the choices and get out and vote, we're going to win. If they don't, and the left, uh, to your earlier point, spend all their time talking about abortion, make people think the election's about abortion, uh, then it's tougher to win. Yeah. Yeah. No question about it. Listen, keep up the good work. Maybe we'll see you this summer. You know, we like coming around those parts in the summer. You should. We love to (laughs) hope. Why don't you come on up? Yeah, we'd love to. All yeah, right. Chair. Up, be up here for convention. That's right. And maybe we'll see you in August. We never know at one of these debates. We'll get that figured out. I love it. The chairman of the Wisconsin Republican Party, Brian Shimming. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, it was great. Take care. This is this is a great interview, and this is really important because now is the time that conservatives really do need to draw a line in the sand. Now is the time that we need to look at the George Soros-funded groups of the world and mm-hmm. say, stop, and we can win in Wisconsin. Yeah, no, I, we can win, and we have one, right? Ron Johnson's a United States senator right now because right. we can win. Uh, president Trump was president because we can win Wisconsin, but you got to focus on that stuff. And we can't consistently be outspent like 20 million to one. I mean, it's, we just, just getting can't. crushed. We're just getting crushed. Just getting crushed. Um, so anyway, we'll keep an eye on all of that. Uh, boys, you want a sports help, uh, update? Yeah. Have you guys watched, by the way, have you watched the World Baseball Classic at all? I watched a little bit of it, yeah. So it comes at a tough time for me because I'm a huge March Madness guy and I watch like literally every dribble of every game yeah. uh, for March Madness and it's wonderful. But I, watching the highlights of the World Baseball Classic this is something I could get into, I think. Yeah. I mean, it was tough like, you know, for, for Nats fans to watch Trey Turner hit a Grand Slam. Yeah. You know? Yeah, what, like, but he's Argus. You wearing yeah, USA. Yeah. I like wearing that. Wearing USA. I like you it. You know, it was also tough for Mets fans to watch Edwin Diaz yeah, go down. I know. He's done for the year. I yeah. know. I know. No, it's injuries, all kinds of stuff. But I kind of like the national sort of pride aspect of baseball. We haven't had that. Mm-hmm. In a lot of sports, you know, like in basketball, we got the dream team. Right. In hockey, we had that one year where all of the pros came out and did it. We've really not had that in baseball, and we're getting that right now, and I really like it. Uh, one thing that stood out to me, and I knew that this would catch your eye, Smug. I'm, I'm looking in the dock now. This is incredible. Uh, the Associated Press uh, reports that the Italians' espresso machine a hit at the World Baseball <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Come on. And there's an image. They've got an espresso machine. The Italian team's got an Come espresso on. machine in, in, in the dugout. Uh, and, and it's great they got a quote even from Mike Piazza. We we're kind of shocked, <laughs> oh actually, because this is something in Italian culture that's sort of like water. I mean, coffee would be right after water. And he's, Mike Piazza's the manager. Of the <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's amazing to me. The Italians actually put an espresso machine in their dugout. Incredible. Incredible. Do we do we know whether there are other teams that have like a like do the Irish have a, a draft of Guinness, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> shepherd's pie, and a nine by thirteen dish? Guinness on tap would be incredible. <laughs> you know, is there like a taco vendor in the like you know street taco vendor? Oh, it gets it gets even better. It says here, uh, Piazza said he was content with the Nespresso machine in the dugout, but was dissatisfied the coffee was being served in a paper cup and not a ceramic one. 
I don't like espresso out of a paper cup. It's kind of sacrilegious. <laughs> 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 Talk about your priorities. <laughs> I do find it completely hilarious. Incredible. Um, I yeah. just love the idea that the other the American teams out there with like a fat chaw in their mouth. Yeah. <laughs> and the Italians are like, not not right. This espresso this espresso is not right. <laughs> hey, everybody, before you go out, grab an espresso and a scoop of lasagna. <laughs> We don't want to play on empty stomachs. <laughs> Speaking of empty stomachs, this was this was an amazing story McDaniel found. Uh, this is from uh, ZME Science. He always finds the most random science. This is so weird. Meat-eating rabbits. In what can only be described as an ironic twist of fate, researchers have found that uh, rabbits can feast on carcasses, complementing their diet with animal meat, including meat from their own kind and even one of their predators, the lynx. Wait, so rabbits are now rabbits, like meat rabbits eating? Are, have been like secretly carnivores. Got they're, rabid rabbits. They're they're becoming part of like the real animal kingdom. They're not like things that you stick <laughs> in a cage and have kids pet. I mean that I, this is just study. So like apparently they've been at this, but they do it in secrecy. Oh, they're ashamed. Yeah. Oh, I mean they're eating their own kind. Yeah. I mean this goes back to what you were saying all along, Smash. I mean they're training. They're getting ready, and the question is, are we? <laughs> You have to watch out. These animals are going to rise up. We've said it time and time again. We have countless examples. If you just go back to the variety program, you can hear all of them. I mean, they if they get a taste for protein, and we know, you know, these rabbits. They reproduce. They reproduce quickly. Like, yeah. And, and, and Easter is right around the corner. Yeah. You know, huge like piece of advice to parents is do not buy a rabbit for your kid. <laughs> It's very clear this is not, you know... He might have a taste for flesh. You, yeah, you don't want this animal inside your Well, isn't that a lesson from, like, Jaws? Yeah. With sharks? Like, well, you but you expect it with the shark. But you don't want them to get a taste for it. Yeah, they get a taste, then you gotta kill them. Yeah. Because then they're gonna be seeking out... Yep. Then they're going... Taste. Yeah. Pretty soon, we're gonna be in the Easter baskets. <laughs> <laughs> well, and this is, this is sort of a related thing. There was a story I saw about, the you know, the orcas uh, eating sharks... But not eating the whole shark. These orcas got a taste for shark liver. Oh. And they would... they go right for the gut? They'd immobilize the shark, like, I think, like, from underneath and, like, hit it. Yeah. And then swim back and and bite out the liver. And just, like, like a a foie gras. That was it. That's it. And then they leave the rest of the shark to die. You're kidding. Yeah. No, it's serious stuff. Oh, my God. That is something else, pal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, listen. The animal kingdom it never it never ceases. The reason to they call them killer whales. It absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. All right, fellas, uh, let's get right to Tommy Tuberville. It's an important interview. I want to welcome to the program an old friend of the program. You've heard him here a few times, but he's got a lot of important things to say, and he's working on behalf of something we've talked a lot about here on the Variety Program. Uh, Senator Tommy Tuberville, welcome to the program. Yeah, glad, great to be here. You know, I always enjoy talking to you guys and uh, look forward to talking about some very important subjects. You got some very important subjects, and I love it. You know, look, the stuff you're interested in is invariably the stuff that we're interested in, which is why we follow you so closely. But one of the things that you've been working on is uh, a couple weeks ago, you reintroduced the Protection of Women and Girls in Sports Act. Which, you know, for my money, anybody with daughters out there, boy, this is an important topic. It's uh, 
it's actually embarrassing that we're even having to talk about this, to be honest with you. And it shows you, you know, what type of country we live in now. It's run by the far left progressives. Um, they don't want any gender. They want everybody to be the same. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it's just amazing. That we've got to talk about boys having the opportunity. I'm talking about biological boys born as a boy to be able to participate against girls in sports. You know, it's, it's not only unsafe and and uh, unfair, it's just downright wrong, to yeah. be honest with you. And this administration just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. Uh, and basically, at the end of the day, what they're going to do is they're going to destroy women's sports. And in May, uh, the U.S. Department of Education is moving forward, uh, you know, to publish these new rules about biological males. And uh, it's expected that schools will have to you know, enforce these rules in the 2023-2024 school year, the year school year coming up. And you'll have no choice but to allow boys to play in, in women's sports. And it's just, to be honest with you, it just pisses me off. Yeah. I mean, it's, look, it does. And you see all kinds of social media just, you know, allows you to hear about every different community and what they're dealing with. But I saw one again this morning where you've got some some boy Who's standing next to these these three young women, uh, you know, a size and a half bigger than they are, who just set the state record and whatever they were working on. And it, it just blows my mind that we actually, as you said, have to have the conversation about whether or not biological males are are it's appropriate for them to compete against females in all of these sports. Yeah. Well, listen, I've got nothing against a kid that might want to think one way or the other uh, and participate in sports, but not to have an unfair advantage, a physical right. advantage. And that's what this is. Uh, we want to start a league or whatever. That's fine. I saw uh, one of these MMA fights the other day where a biological uh, boy or man uh, was in a fight in a ring with a woman. I don't You probably saw this. And he beat the holy heck out of her. I mean, it it oh. dangerous. And and as you said, you've you've got daughters, and a lot of us have got daughters that have to dress, will have to start dressing in the same dressing rooms. And uh it's immoral. And it's uh we've 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 had some instances over the last few years where there's been rapes in dressing rooms. Uh I don't know where this administration is coming from. I really don't know. You know, they they've got a for sale sign on our country. Um, they just got, I guess they're going to put one out in front of the White House that our country's for sale because that's the direction we're headed. And if we, the people of this country don't wake up, if they don't wake up and see what's going on, uh, it's going to be too late to recover from this. And, you know, just talking about that, 50 years ago, we started Title IX to give women the opportunity to compete. And it's probably been the most successful thing in your in my lifetime that this clown show up here has actually got right. Yep. You know, they, they they got a law right. They help women to, be, to become uh, more focused on on com- competition and working with each other and learning how to how to work, you know, and 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 working towards winning and being able to set winning and losing, making leaders. Uh, they're going to destroy Title IX. This will end up destroying Title IX as, what we, as we know it. And it's really increased. Uh, what I'm excited about Title IX is increased the participation in high school and college 
women. Uh, give them the opportunity to to make something out of themselves, to to really be proud of what they've achieved until you see Leah Thomas this year winning uh, yeah. the national championship in swimming because she was so much bigger, faster, and stronger than this girl that worked all of her life from Kentucky to have a chance to win a national championship. It just, it makes me sick in my stomach because, you know, I came from that and that that field for 30, 40 years and saw how hard these athletes work to achieve success. Yeah. And we just took it away from them by, by just saying, hey, you know, anything goes. Well, that's a great irony of all of this, right? Is because Title IX didn't come with a lot of, without a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to begin with, right? It was something yeah. that was controversial. The, the you know, quote-unquote feminist movement, along with an awful lot of people across the country, worked hard to ensure that women had the same opportunities within a college structure of getting programs open up to their kind of the, the athletics that were available to them, having the same opportunities. And to watch now people sort of hijack that movement and somehow try to convince the rest of us that that it is uh in women's best interests to have biological men compete against the women that they fought so hard to get on the same playing field blows my mind you hit it on the head where are the same feminist groups that push so hard to get title nine into effect yeah. Uh, you know, people are afraid to step up for what's right anymore. You know, you have the, the left that stands up and they'll protest anything, even though they know it's not something that's worthwhile for this country or for people or for citizens or for taxpayers. They'll push it. They'll protest it. They'll riot. They'll do anything they possibly can to get their way. Where are the good people out there that want their daughters to have an opportunity? We got to start standing up and saying enough's enough. We're not going to do this anymore. Uh, we're not going to give this away. We're, we're going to stand up for our daughters and and give them the same opportunity. Where are they? They're not out there. They're, they, they're out there. They're just not. They're afraid they might make somebody mad. And it's time to make somebody mad, I'll tell you. Yeah, it is time to make somebody mad. No question about it. And as you said in your, in your preamble to all of this, it it's silent on the issue of trans. It's silent on the issue of whatever choices somebody might make, whether it's you know, high school. So we all have, you know, opinions of all that, but that's not what you're interested in. Th that that piece of it is entirely separate from whether or not biological males should be able to compete on the same playing field as biological women. And, and it is just, it blows my mind that we have to continue to have that conversation. But you've got this, this bill that I think, it, 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 does it just sort of reaffirm Title IX and it's, explicit intent is that basically what it does well what it does protect protect women and girls in sports act basically says that that uh, uh the gender that that you are born in is what you participate in yeah i don't care if you want to change i don't care what you want to change in anything if you're born a girl you participate against girls if you're born a, a boy you participate against boys and it also basically says that if if you if they want to do this in these schools, we're going to ban funding for that school, or that university, and federal funding. Uh, it's not; it shouldn't be allowed. Uh, so, uh, it's again, it goes back to making sure that these schools understand whether it's secondary education or higher education that girls need their own dressing rooms, 
they need their own sports, but they also need the the things that come along with Title IX, the same funding, the same number of coaches, the same type of yeah. facilities. But there's a difference between a man and a woman. And it's all about common sense. And we need to start waking up and smelling the roses on this, or we're going to lose women's sports as we know it. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I imagine one of the more complex and, and difficult parts of this particular issue is that you're dealing with higher education, right? In and of itself, you're dealing with a not left of center constituency here. We're talking about a radically left of center constituency. So you get a lot of athletic directors out there who throw up their hands. I'm sure they're, they're, you know, they may be talking to you behind closed doors saying, I don't know what you want me to do here. I've got, I have an administration that is entirely pushing in one direction and I, I don't have any choices. Yeah. But we're letting 10 or 15% of the people in this country run this country. Yeah, there and you go. Right. Uh, at the bottom line, that's what. And the problem we have in politics is since I've been here in two years, I, people go along with things just so they can get reelected instead of standing up for what's right, uh, Republicans and Democrats. And we know what this country was built on, why it was built, uh, what we've all enjoyed uh, in our lifetimes. And there's about 10 or 15% of the people in this country that don't like this country. They want to change this country to something that we've not been for 200 and almost 50 years. And we have to stand up for it and say, hey, listen, we're not changing. If you want to change it, go somewhere else. Go to another country where they're already doing this. Uh, we're not going to do it in the United States of America. This country owes you one thing. It's an opportunity to take advantage of the great things that we have here. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, again, it goes back to sometimes it just makes me sick to watch some people how they vote. Yeah. Just simple fact to be to be able to tell people, well, look, this is how I voted. So you got to vote for me to send me back up there. Uh, if I got to do that, I'm going to go fishing or playing golf. <laughs> I'm sure you can make good use of your time. No question about that. I want to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But I know you also just got back from a Codell. And having been uh, in the Senate and around Congress for for a long time, the value of these things, I think, are really, really important because you get people outside of their echo chamber, outside of the traditional media, and you go see stuff for yourself. And you were down in the Panama Canal, which not a lot of people, you know, since the days of Manuel Noriega have given a lot of thought to the the Panama Canal, but it's an important issue and something to keep an eye on. Uh, Senator, what were your thoughts there? Well, first of all, you got to understand the Panama Canal and Panama is in our hemisphere. Uh, they're, they're neighbors. They're our friends. They're the people that are, are you know, are next door to us. And so uh, it's halfway down uh, Central America, almost going into South America. It's a very important part for us in the United States for the simple fact that there's a canal there that was built uh, many, many years ago that allows uh, ships to go through a 51 mile jaunt through all these locks and but get to the other side in eight hours other than have to go on around have to go around Argentina uh, the bottom of South America which takes a month to do to get to that point that being said almost 80 percent of the things that we make and we trade in this country go through that canal that's wild that's a big yeah. number I, I, mean, yeah. I didn't know that yeah that's huge and so uh, we got to keep it open. We have to keep it safe. Now, a few years ago, they had a president 
in Panama that decided he was going to strike up a lot of contracts with our uh, people that are competing competing against us, the Chinese. And uh, so they signed all these contracts. Well, basically, at the end of the day, they can't keep those contracts because they're not doing so well economically or financially. But they get all these contracts and they want to pretty much take over these countries in our hemisphere that are our neighbors. And fortunately, we've got a president down there now that said, hey, uh, we're getting out of these contracts. We're backing out because you can't fulfill what you said in these contracts. And uh, uh, we're hoping that the United States will, and it, now we, we tend to get in everything else, like we're in Ukraine right now, uh, which is fine. Uh, I, I've got differences of opinion about that, but we better watch what's going on at home here at our borders and what's going on with our neighbors, the countries surrounding us, because we need friends. And Panama is definitely our friend. And uh, again, it's so important. They control the things north of them, south of them. They got migration that's overrunning them, drugs going through. Uh, and, you know, if, you know, you and I don't remember this, but years ago before we gave the Panama Canal, we had 30,000 troops there. We don't have, we have almost zero now. We got a few special ops people, but uh, we, we, we really helped the Panamanians. But they're good people. It's a great place. Uh, but we just need to keep them on our side and uh, we need to make sure that we do anything we possibly can to help them work through these situations uh, and get out of these Chinese contracts. Well, it's an important just sort of global understanding that you've, you've raised here in that I think, look, most Americans, if given our druthers, would want to just stay out of foreign affairs altogether, right? We deal with our own problems, what have you. But what you've highlighted here is the reason why you can't, right? If 80% of what's coming in and out of this country goes through one canal, and all of a sudden you've got a hostile foreign government that has control of that canal, you can see where all of a sudden there's an economic problem <laughs> associated yeah. with that, right? And right. it's so, so what you're focused on with this trip in particular, and I imagine just globally, is the strategic alignment between America's international footprint and this country's domestic economy. Well, if you look what's going on around the world, there's there are a lot of different countries and and most of them really have no leadership. Kind of reminds me of our country right now. We have very little leadership. We got animals running the zoo. So what's happening around the world is we've got a lot of these same things going on in big countries, uh, smaller countries. And what's happening is the Chinese have what they call the Belt and Road Initiative to where they're going in and say, listen, we can help you out financially. We can help you with yeah. your roads, your power structure. So they sign these contracts and they can't really do everything that they're saying they're doing, but they get them on, they, they get their name on a dotted line and they start controlling their governments. And, uh, you know, what we, we need friends. I mean, we're, we're the greatest power on ever on the face of the earth. But even we need friends and we need them everywhere. And and if people start selling out to communism, uh, it'll be coming our way, especially with the weak leadership that we have in our country right now. And so we, we got a lot of things to do in our country. You know, we got crime. We got no borders. We got inflation. We got our education is going to heck in a handbasket. Uh, we got men wanting to play in women's sports. I mean, we don't, I can't think of anything good going on right now, other than we live on the greatest in the greatest country on the face of the earth. There's not anything better, but it can, we can lose it in a heartbeat if we don't watch it. 
Yeah, no question about it. And you saw even when when we left Afghanistan, you saw the Chinese come in and try to take over the rare earth mining, right? And you, you saw, you know, all kinds of different voids beginning to fill when you don't exert sort of American relationships abroad. And that look, there are a lot of different ways to put it, but I think you put it the best in that if you got 80% of your stuff coming in and out of one place, man, you better keep an eye on it. Yeah. Well, it just it, it's mind boggling to me that we're using all this climate stuff to bring our country Oof. down. We're, we're all environmentalists, right? We we want a clean world waters. We want clean water to drink. We, we want all those things. But our the, our climate's not changing to where we're going to lose our, our world. OK, it's not. But we've got a bunch of people trying to make money off of it. Uh, and and we're we're destroying ourselves. We we nor can our friends in this world survive without cheap energy okay and we can supply most people our friends and us with cheap energy but these clowns up here they don't want to do it they want expensive energy from solar and wind oh yeah and now they want us to get in these ev cars where 80 90 percent of the minerals to make all the batteries come from china i mean it you you can't make this up what's going on up here and they're selling a dream to all these uh environmentalists that really are uneducated i tell you i've i study on it every day i listen to people folks we're, we don't have an environmental problem we got a mental problem with the leadership in this country and across the world when it comes to this and a lot of these scientists now they they say what you want they want you to hear because they're making money off this it depends on who's paying for the study right they get grants and all these things. And uh, again, we all are concerned about the world and the earth and, and everything going around it. But we also want to be able to live, live while we're here and not be destroyed from within. Uh, well said. Very well said, Senator. Uh, look, let's lighten things up a minute because it it, it is. I'm actually embarrassed for myself that I haven't brought this up with you before because I've followed your career greatly. Obviously, we've talked about the Auburn days and and your coaching and, and everything else. I have neglected to mention that early on in your career, you were right smack dab in the middle of the, the Miami hurricanes and, and the Canes run in the late eighties and early nineties. It was a fun time in my life when I first <laughs> started. And I'm going to tell you, I, I was at Arkansas state university and Jimmy Johnson gave me the break of my life. To move down, I was single, young guy, been in coaching six, seven years from high school to a little bit of college, and he hired me to come down to the Miami Hurricanes in 1986. Uh, and oh man, uh, right at that height too. Uh, Good lord! You know that was the year we went undefeated. Nobody yeah. had come close to us. And then we go to the Fiesta Bowl and play for the played the first ever college football game after January the first. I think we played on the third. It was considered the national championship game in the Fiesta Bowl. I remember Joe Paterno, who ended up becoming a very good friend of mine. They beat us 14 to 10 and Vinny Testaverde threw five interceptions. We, I mean, they only had 125 total yards on offense and we yeah, lose. The defense stuffed them something serious. Oh yeah. They couldn't get back to the line of scrimmage, but it just goes to show you, you know, you got to get it done on both sides of the ball, but that, I had a great career Nine years, I guess, in Miami. I never lost a home game in the old Orange Bowl. You know, when I was going to Panama last week, I stopped in in Miami, and it, I almost cry every time I go by that 
that stadium. It looked like an airplane hangar that they built yeah. for a baseball stadium in the old Orange Bowls location, which had first three or four Super Bowls. The his- history of that place was unbelievable. Uh, but no, I had a great time. We won three or four national championships and I was around so many great players that ended up making, uh, you know, uh, a hall of fame and pros. And, uh, it was just, it was, a it was just a fun time being around great coaches like Jimmy Johnson, Dennis Erickson, uh, you know, and just a, a string of assistant coaches. It, it was, it wasn't just, it wasn't just a job. It was fun. Yeah. Because, you could you tell. Know, I mean, that, that, that's the thing about that whole program is it, it was a cultural change, not just in football, but on all of sports where you had personalities being personalities and a coaching staff that understood how to get the best out of their players. And sometimes that meant letting them be themselves. And, and it wasn't about trying to jam square pegs into, into round holes. It was about everybody sort of gelling together. And that, I mean, those programs, boy, oh boy, that was an incredible football team. Yeah, that 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 group and that that time span with Jimmy and Dennis Erickson changed college football as we know it in terms yeah. of offenses and throwing the ball down the field. Uh, but also, uh, Jimmy was above his time in terms of you know we didn't we didn't care if a linebacker weighed 170 pounds, uh, <laughs> but if he could run and 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 was was tough, he could play. Uh, just talking about the defensive lineman at Jerome Brown and yeah. Russell Maryland and, and and Dwayne the Rock Johnson and you know just all at Warren South. I mean, it, it was just just one after another that was just unbelievable. Uh, that that you know you go out on the field and I'd watch them practice, going, "Hey, we could be we could be several pro teams." I mean, oh, I think there's no doubt about that. Back in the day, no question about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you still keep in touch with anybody from that era? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I talked to coaches and and players, and uh, uh, it would again. It just sometimes I look back on it and think it. You it was just yesterday. Heck, it's been thirty years yeah. since all that. And you know the the Canes before Howard Snellenberger and won the national championship in '83. Uh, they were playing their games on Friday nights because they couldn't get five or six thousand people to come to the Orange Bowl to the games. Wow. And uh, and after that, we were filling stadiums up, and uh, you know it's just uh, you know the the hurt the the Dolphins were good also, and we were able to live side by side and continue to fill the Orange Bowl up on Saturday and fill it up on Sunday. So uh, yeah, a lot of great times, and and what a place to to live at at, at that time for me. Uh, you know, coming from a small town in Arkansas, going to the Miami and and seeing the. That was back in the day of the Miami Vice. Uh, oh, yeah, that's you right. Know, you had to change your wardrobe up a little bit, Coach. All those actors worked out in our locker room, in our weight room every morning. They, they'd film at night, and they'd come from 6 to 7 in the morning and work out and then go home and sleep. We got to know all of them and, and went out and watched them several times film. I'll never forget. They sent a car to pick us up. We go out and watch uh, on the causeway going out to uh, – uh, Key Biscayne, uh, they had a uh, a show about uh, a Texas Ranger, and well, the Texas Ranger was Willie Nelson. Oh yeah, and, uh, oh yeah, it was. Uh, we met a lot of people down there. It was that was a fun time, and and uh, you know, I'm, matter of fact, I'm I'm getting, I'm writing a book right now. You'll be able to read a lot about all those days. I had thirty thirty from ESPN call me, Coach. We'd like for you to be on. I said, Nah. I said, I'm gonna save my stories for 
from my book. And, I you know, think that's back. right. I think that's right. The special ones you got to reserve for your own book. I, I the thirty thirty that was good though. You have to admit that was oh, good. Awesome, awesome, very good, and right online. And uh, but again, they I, I can add a little flavor to it as and you know as I get my book and, and go through it about players and 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 good things. You know, it, yeah. it was people don't people realize wow well, they're they're cocky and you know they they dance in the end zone. And I'd always tell people, number one, it's a game and, and it's fun. As long as they don't go over the over the line. And the other is come to practice one day. If you want to see how kids work and hard, they, they all came from from tough parts of the neighborhood in Miami and they wanted out. They, they wanted a better life for themselves and their families. Nobody ever worked as hard. Michael Irving, the quarterbacks hated him because he'd make them stay out for about 45 minutes to an hour and throw to him. Uh, and and he was not going to be outworked. He made himself a football player. Yeah, uh, he was a he was a good athlete, but he made himself into a guy that was an NFL Hall of Fame player. Yeah, I was just going to say, made himself a Hall of Famer. Uh, first ballot one at that. Listen, Coach, we always enjoy this so much. You let us know as you're working on that book because uh, there are a lot of people here in this particular studio that would love an early copy of that sucker uh, to hear all about it. You can come back here anytime. But thank you for all what you're up to with women's sports. Uh, your 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 view on international uh, relations stuff is always welcome here too. Uh, come back anytime. All right. Thank you. Thanks. You know, I've, I've loved Coach Tuberville for a long time um, for a lot of reasons. He coached the Cincinnati Bearcats, as you guys he know. He did. It's near and dear to my heart. He did. Um, what was lesser known is that he, he actually spent some time with that Miami team. And for those of you who are not college football aficionados, this is what changed the game forever. Yeah, yeah. This team was a part of what changed. And it sounds like it changed his life forever, too. It set him on a different trajectory in terms of coaching. But a leader he has been throughout. He's, I think, like a seven-time coach of the year in the NCAA's, and he and he, his first shot at politics, he wins United States Senate, which is like you know not easy to do against against the former senator, I might add. Yeah. Um, and then you know now he is tackling all these tough topics that so many people out there want to just sort of shy away from. Yeah. You he's know? fighting the fights that you know folks don't want to take, that don't have the courage for, it, but he's got it. Yeah. Yeah. So it, always a pleasure having him on stuff. the show. Good stuff. I think we did it, fellas. Yeah. Great interview. Great show. Absolute banger of an episode, if I may say so myself, gentlemen. And thank you so much to the minions. Remember, hackmadness.org. Vote in Hack Madness. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.